Matthew 6, starting with verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. Let me pray with you. God, let your power fall. Let your voice be heard. Come and change our hearts this morning, God, as we stand on your word. Holy Spirit, would you rain down upon me? Would you rain down upon those that are in this room? Would you rain down upon the kids and the workers downstairs? Would you rain down upon all of us this morning, God? Lord, we are imperfect people, aren't we? Oh God, how often do you grow impatient and tired with us? How many times can we too get stiff-necked and stubborn? God, would you break us? Would you break us? Lord, I pray that your words that would come through me would be anointed not because of me, but because you, and that it would help touch someone this morning. Lord, as there is a reminder that we all need to have this morning in this message, I pray that someone would leave this morning changed. They would leave renewed with a renewed sense of purpose and passion and faith in you, God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Nikola Tesla. He is the scientist uh, who invented the method of generating electricity in what we call alternating currents. For years of his life, he made it his goal to know as much as he could about electricity. He was fascinated. He was obsessed with knowing its power and its might. Many regard him as a greater scientific genius than the better known Alexander Graham Bell. There's a story that is told about Nikola Tesla that during thunderstorms, and we had one last night, didn't we? It was a doozy last night. During thunderstorms, he would just sit in his living room or sit in his room and lay back on his couch by the window and he would watch the storm come in and he would see the lightning and hear the thunder crack and every time the lightning struck, he would applaud. He would applaud. One genius recognizing the work of another. 
More than anyone, Tesla could appreciate the wonder of lightning because he had spent years getting to know electricity. He had spent years getting to know electricity. In a similar way, the more that we know not just about God, but the more that we know God, the more deeply we will applaud His great works. The more deeply we will apply or applaud His mighty deeds and the deeper our prayer life will be. Did you hear that? The more that we know God, the deeper that we go with God, the more that we search, the more that we dig, the more that we know God, the deeper our prayer life will be. I would even contend that the results, and I'm speaking to myself as well as you, I would even contend that the results of one's prayer life are directly linked with how well we know our Father. Would even be directly linked with how much we want to know our Father. Do you know Him well enough to call Him your God or just simply God? Or have the burdens and the pressures of life caused you to forget this God? Caused you to forget who God is and what He is capable of doing. The title of our message this morning is To Whom You Pray. To Whom You Pray. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. Turn to the book of Acts, the 17th chapter. Book of Acts, chapter 17. I'm going to start with verse 14, and we'll go through the first part of verse 23. I will put a few verses up on the screen, but not quite yet. Acts 17, verse 14. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but... Both Silas and Timothy remained there. To those who conducted Paul, brought him to Athens. And receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now while Paul awaited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. He saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? (laughs) Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. 
For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time and nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. And this I'll put up on the screen. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. At this time, Athens was one of the main cities in Greece. It was known for its great wealth, for its opulence, as well as being the center of all philosophical reasoning Uh, All philosophical Grecian learning. And if you can just picture this with me, as you came into the city, there were gods and shrines and idols and statues everywhere you looked. Various temples were built to honor the pagan deities. And they had gods and idols for literally everything. Some of you may recognize some of these figures here. These are some of the more well-known gods that they worshipped. You have Apollo, who is the god of the sun. You have Ares, the god of war. Sidon, god of the sea. Zeus, who was the god of the sky. Athena was the goddess of reason and wisdom. Aphrodite was the goddess of love. Everywhere you looked, there were idols. There were false Idols, one after another. A place where there were as many gods and idols as there were people. Thousands and thousands. They would have them in their homes. They would have them up on their shelf. They would worship and pray and sacrifice to these gods. There were so many gods that it was one time said, it's easier to find a god in Athens than it was to find a man. However, Athens was also a place where anything goes. Great corruption, sexual immorality, and debauchery of all kinds. Because one could create whatever God that they wanted, whatever pleased the carnal nature, the carnal desires, whatever pleasures they wanted, all we have to do is just create a God for it. Right in the midst of this setting is what is called Mars Hill. Mars Hill is that rock that you see, that big, large rock. And this is where the Areopagus was located. And that plaque that you see there, if you were to go there to Mars Hill and the Areopagus, that plaque would be there, and it's commemorating the speech. It's commemorating the message that I'm reading, that we just read in your presence. That is uh, Paul's message to the Athenians. And it was here that all of the Greek philosophers would go every day, and they would just talk about, so what have you learned today? What new philosophical truths and uh, reasonings have you learned today? Every day this is what it was about. It was, let me share with you what I think life is about or what do you think that life is about? That's what it is. Do we have a God for that? Well, let's make a God. Let's create a God and we can worship that. 
If you had an opinion about something, this was the place to share it. I can imagine all the gossip that went on on that rock. And because, hear me on this, because they were open to any and all teachings, this greatly affected their morality. Because when you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. Let me read that again. When you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. Does that sound like a problem in America? Sounds like America. The ACLU and the liberal courts and the judges and the politicians, they want to turn our country into a place where everyone is free to live as they see fit. Even as the latest news is today, if you wake up today and you know you're or you're you're a man, but maybe you want to be a woman, you can go in certain stores and you can use the women's restrooms today. That is what is happening in a lot of stores and a lot of places around the world. If that's what feels good to you, then do it. We don't want to push that. We don't want to not allow you to do that. We are becoming a land that is falling for everything, church, because we will not stand for anything. We are getting away from God's Word and our country is going downhill. I'm also reminded of where the mission team is going to be going. I may have mentioned this briefly a while ago, but this is continually uh, what they were doing back in Athens is taking place even as we speak where the mission team will be going in Dilcon, Arizona. They'll probably be visiting again the Hopi Indians. Uh, the Hopi live and they move and they have their being in religion. To them, the unseen world is populated with a host of beings, good and bad, and everything in nature has its being or spirit. They've created gods and spirits for every conceivable reason. They have a God for the sun, a God for the earth, a God for harvest, a God for corn, a God for clouds, a God for rain. They have a God for everything. Some of you remember the uh, museum or the souvenir shop that we stopped at, and they had glass cases of just uh, little kachina dolls that represented these gods and these idols in their life, and just one, just dozens and dozens just in this souvenir shop. Back to Athens, the Athenians did not want to offend any god that may have been unintentionally missed. So in order to, de- to cover all of their bases, they created an altar to a god that was not yet known. What was fascinating, they have found such altars. That is a picture of an altar found over in that region that is inscribed to an unknown god. Think about this for a second. Here were people praying and worshiping a God without even knowing who or what this God was. And I got to wonder, how many people sit in our churches all around the world and they pray to an unknown God? They may think that they know Him, but do they really? 
Like those in Athens, if left up to our own devices, mankind will invent any kind of reality to support whatever desires and cravings that they have. And as men pray to a God they do not know, they wonder why God is silent and why God does not answer back, so they proceed to live however they want. That is the society that we live in, and a lot in our churches today are living like this. They'll come through the doors, and they'll sing the songs. They may put some money in the offering plate. They'll shake the hands, and they may have a Bible. But do they know their God? They bow their heads when it comes time to pray. But do they know, know, know Him? Do they know God in a personal, intimate way? Or do they just know of God? Are they praying? Is anyone here this morning praying to an unknown God? In our world today, still full of idol worship and idol hearts, we too need to be aware of the one true living God. We know that it's possible for someone to value the idea of prayer without knowing the one to whom they are praying to. If we pray to a God that is unknown, unknown personally, unknown internally, if we are praying to a God that we do not know intimately, we too can go our own way creating whatever world and life we think is right and our prayers will be nothing more than fruitless acts. But if you know this God, our God, If you have a day-by-day personal relationship with this God, I want to take a few moments this morning and remind you exactly who it is that you are praying to. Sometimes we forget, don't we? Sometimes we forget. This, um, (laughs) I know I'm going to get a reaction on this, but how many of you find yourself forgetting things all the time? (laughs) <laughs> this happened to me last week. I was up early in the morning. Last Sunday I was up early reviewing the message. And uh, in my review I, I remembered something that I needed down in the office. And it took me no more than five to six seconds to get down to the office. And I got down to the office and I'm just standing there and I had no idea why I was there. <laughs> Does that happen to anybody? It's not just me. It happens to all of us. I thought, this is ridiculous. I need my wife. Where is she at? She can help me. She knows what I'm looking for. And so I went back upstairs. I didn't know. I, I, didn't, I never did find out what I was looking for. Brock needs reminded. You need reminded. You need to be reminded of the God that you are praying to. You don't want your God to be unknown. Let me explore that with you just a little bit this morning. Our God. He is the God that Paul went on to describe. Let's look at our verse here. It's not going to be on the screen, but going back to Acts chapter 17. Starting with verse 23. We'll pick up with that again. Let's go 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, 
to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Listen, the two words that I just used, I just used the words, He is. He is the God that Paul was describing here in Acts 17. The two words I just used, more in the second person vernacular there. But if we were to turn this around, if we were to take those two words and use them in the first person, you know what they would say? They would say this, I am. We say that God is, that He is. But spoken in the first person, He is the I Am. Once we put God like that, do you realize that He just became all-powerful, almighty? What do I mean by that? Follow me here. Moses had this encounter with God Years after he had fled Egypt from killing an Egyptian, Moses finds himself in the wilderness, herding sheep, tending the flock of his father-in-law. When he encounters a bush that is on fire, that you know the story, the bush is not consumed. And it's here that Moses has a direct encounter with the God who created all that there is. You don't have to turn there, but Exodus 3, 5, and 6. Then he said, do not, God said to Moses, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Is that your God? Or is that just the God of the Bible? God then tells Moses to go back to Egypt and deliver his people. And then later on in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Folks, this was the living, eternal, ever-present, self-existent, holy, unchanging God. And this personal name of God was so holy, is so holy, that many of the Jews after this would not speak, would not even write the name on paper. Abraham had a similar encounter with God. 
After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. All throughout the Old Testament, the great I am showed up. And what's amazing is that Colossians tells us that Jesus is the mirror image of the great I am. Colossians 1:15 and through 17, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Jesus is the same I am that Moses experienced at the burning bush. And I'm reminding you today. That when you know this God personally and intimately and internally, the same I am you have within you. Do you need to be reminded of that? Someone here needs to be reminded of that. The great I am. Jesus is the great I am as well. Jesus said the following of himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I'm just going to pause here real quick because I see... Uh, Mark Swartz with us. I remember years ago, Mark, um, I think you, you had us just all come into a service and we did nothing but just stand and read the Word of God. you remember that? You know, my words are nothing. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, I'm not an eloquent speaker. I, I can't, I, I'm not a great orator. I can't move people. But whenever I go back to the Word of God, then there's power. Then there's authority. And I remember when you just speak the word of God, there is power in the, and there is, there is authority. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. Somebody say amen to the great I am. He said, therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you before Abraham was, say it with me. I am. I am. And how can I not tell the story about Jesus on the night that he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. The story that took place. You know what I'm going to talk about here. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, Say it with me, 
I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Folks, there is power in the great I am. And you have that in you. The Word of God tells us that the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead exists in you, those of you who know Him, those of you who have followed Him, those of you who have accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, those of you who are walking daily with Him. You have the great I Am within you. You do not have to take a back seat to anyone or anything. We have the great I Am in our hearts. Praise the Lord. And I need to be reminded of that. Because do you think that the devil does not attack me? Man, this is not a woe is me. He attacks you. He attacks me. And I need to be reminded of the great I am. We too can know the same great I am that Abraham knew. The great I am that visited Moses in the burning bush is the same great I am. And you and I... Oh, listen to me. You and I can meet Him in our secret place. Sounds like a sermon, doesn't it? He's pounding on the pulpit now. We fall so short of the glory. We fall so short of the privileges and the honors that we have as children. But I go back. Only you can answer this question one-on-one. Do you know Him? Or is He still just an unknown God? Are you pursuing Him? Is He the greatest thing in your life? I've got to be pursuing my God more than I pursue Stephanie. Next to God, she's the most important thing in my life. But if I'm not pursuing God more than I'm pursuing her, something's out of whack. And if I were to go around this room and talk to those of you who have taken this series seriously, those of you who are taking the Wednesday night series seriously, I would imagine, how many of you would have to say that you, now that you look back over the last couple of weeks, and you're really trying to apply these things, how many of you would say, Satan's been attacking you just a little bit harder? Let me see hands. Let me see hands. Hands, hands. They're all, well, okay. Duh. There's a reason. Satan can't stand the great I am. The great I am. Where am I at? You and I can commune with the great I Am. We can have an intimate and personal relationship with this great I Am. This God, this Father, you and I are to pray to in secret is the same God that will reward us. Quickly, I'm going to give you three things that we need to remember. Three things that we need to remember. Number one, the great I Am is sovereign. The great I am is sovereign. What does that word sovereign really mean? The definition of sovereign is one that exercises supreme, permanent authority, especially in a nation or a government. 
Again, this sovereignty applies to Jesus Christ in his advent. In Isaiah 9, it tells us, The peoples who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Verse 6, For unto you a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Listen, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government, his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Our God is sovereign. It doesn't always seem like it, does it? As much as it may not seem like it, God is fully aware. Oh, this is going to sound like another pastor thing. Our God is fully aware of what is taking place in our life. Our God is fully aware of what ISIS is doing over in the Middle East. Our God is fully aware of whatever backroom dirty deals are being done in Wall Street today. Our God is fully aware of what the price of eggs are in China. But our God knows, you're thinking, what does that have nothing to do with anything? But He knows about it anyways. And God is fully aware of what is taking place in your life. You need to be reminded of that. He knows exactly what is going on in your life. He is sovereign. We sing a song, sometimes goes like, I have a father, he calls me his own. He'll never leave me nor forsake me, no matter where I go. And I have a maker, he formed my heart. Before even time began, my life was in his hands, for he knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and hears me. When I call, Psalm tells us that every tear that we shed, God holds in a bottle. I told that to you, Miriam, several weeks, several weeks ago. Every tear that you've ever shed in your entire lifetime, God has a special bottle on His shelf for Jeannie's tears, Courtney's tears, Nathan's tears, Gail's tears, Tom's tears, for Brock's tears. He has your tears. He knows. Because God is sovereign, we can approach His throne with confidence and with boldness. 1 John 5.14 says this, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, that's in there too, I didn't make that up, if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Remember this morning, The great I am is sovereign. Number two, the great I am blesses. The great I am blesses. Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find 
Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Talked about this a few weeks ago in a message. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, knowing how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Just give me a second. How much more? Someone needs to hear that today. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Weary soldier, if you're tired of asking something of God, yet it seems He's not answering Realize that ours is really not to question the means or the methods or the timings of the great I am. But ours is to live daily in obedience, anticipating His answer. Did you hear me, church? Ours is not to question the means or the methods or the timing of the great I am but to live obedience and obedience anticipating His answer. There's another song that some of you who listen to contemporary music says, I am waiting, I'm waiting on You, Lord, and I am hopeful, I am waiting on You, Lord, though it is painful, but patiently I will wait. So I will move ahead, bold and confident, taking every step in obedience. While I'm waiting, I will serve you. While I'm waiting, I will worship you. While I'm waiting, and I will not faint. I'll be running the race, even while I wait. Wait in anticipation because the great I am blesses. And lastly, the great I am responds. That's not responds, that's resounds. You know what I mean. I beat you to it this time, right? <laughs> you would have told me. The great I am responds. I've said this before, but we all know that God is the slowest person that we know, but He's always on time. In Jeremiah 33, 2 and 3, Thus says the Lord who made it, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is His name. Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. In closing this morning, I ask you to remember the scene that occurred here two weeks ago. I still have it. Remember the scene that happened two weeks ago. Remember that? Some of you never 
we all must never forget this. Never forget this. If you weren't here, I had everyone come up who, um, all of the above, if you had a physical need or if you had a, an emotional need or a financial need or a spiritual need that you knew if God did not show up, you were in trouble. You knew that if God did not show up, you were through, that there was no other man-made provisions, no other man-made answers. If God did not show up, you were through. And I had everybody come up and put their name on here and write which God had done. I just wrote all the above. You see, our God responds. It may not always be what we want and our timing in our way, but God responds. Remember all those pieces of paper that everybody held up. Let me read you this last story and then I'll be done. Several years ago, a giant tree stood on the banks of the Awash River in an arid valley about two hours drive southeast of Abba, Ethiopia. It had stood there for generations, seemingly eternal. For years, the people who lived in the surrounding district had suffered through famines. In their suffering, the people looked to the tree for help. Believing a spirit gave it divine powers. They worshipped the towering giant. Adults would kiss the tree trunk when they passed by. And they spoke of the tree in hushed, reverent tones, whispering to their children, This tree has saved us. A few years after this, World Vision began a development project in that region, including an irrigation system. But even as they labored to build the system, the great tree stood like a foreboding sentinel on the old order, presiding over the community, enslaving the people through fear. When World Vision workers saw how the villagers worshipped the tree, they knew that it was an idolatrous barrier to the entrance of Christ's kingdom and transformation of the community. One morning as the staff prayed together, one of Jesus' promises struck them. It's found in Matthew 21, 21. Quote, if you have faith, you can say to this tree, be taken up and removed, and it will obey you. In faith, they began to pray that God would bring down the menacing Goliath. Soon, the whole community knew the Christians were praying about the tree. You know what's coming. Six months later, the tree began to dry up. Its leafy foliage disappeared, and finally it collapsed like a stricken giant into the river. The people of the community were astonished, proclaiming, Your God has done this. Your God has dried up the tree. And in the days and weeks afterwards, approximately 100 members of the community received Jesus Christ because they saw His power displayed in answer to the Christian's Prayers. I ask you in closing this morning, do you know this great I am? Do you know to whom you are praying or is he still just unknown? Have you forgotten who this is 
Is he distant or are you talking daily and walking daily by his side? This morning, let me remind someone, remind all of us. If you're walking hand in hand with God, as you approach the throne throne of God, you are talking to the great. Say it with me. You bow your heads. Jesus. Uh, All heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today and you're saying, I need that message. I need to be reminded that the great I am is fighting for me. Let me see your hand. If you need that, let me see your hand. The great I am. You can put your hands back down. Thank you hands all over the place. The great I am, he's here. Let this be a reminder to you that when you enter your secret place, and that's your part, you and I have to enter our secret place. But when we enter the secret place, we enter the presence of the great I am. He is still able. We don't always know what's according to his will, but we are faithful in our part. Jesus, thank you. May this be an encouragement to someone here this morning. May this uh, help someone. God, you've helped me through it. Thank you that I'm not left to wander through this life by myself, but I have the great I am. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.